Welcome to the Iowa Idea Podcast. Join host Matt Arnold for in-depth conversations with artists, designers, entrepreneurs, and civic leaders as he explores how they approach their craft and represent a modern version of the Iowa Idea. The Iowa Idea was originally conceived at the University of Iowa by University President Walter Jessup and Graduate Dean Carl Seashore in the 1920s. The Iowa Idea brought together practicing artists and scholars to produce a new form of collaboration. The idea blossomed, bringing forth the Iowa Writers' Workshop, the Master of Fine Arts degree, and Iowa City's designation as a UNESCO City of Literature. Nearly a century later, the Iowa Idea podcast explores modern collaboration, craft, creativity, innovation, and persistence. This podcast tells the stories of Iowa natives, transplants, and friends who demonstrate the Iowa Idea in the 21st century. The Iowa Idea podcast is produced in Iowa City by Spark Consulting Group. In this episode of the Iowa Idea podcast, I sit down with Kurt Nelson, Ph.D., Kurt earned his bachelor's degree and his MBA at the University of Iowa. He is a business owner and co-founder, along with Tim Houlihan, of Behavioral Grooves, one of the world's top behavioral science podcasts. Tim and Kurt are doing great work on behavioral grooves, and I highly recommend checking them out. In honor of behavioral grooves, I force Kurt to answer one of life's most important questions. Coffee or tea? Turns out with most things in life, context matters. We discuss his road to becoming a behavioral scientist and podcaster and how working on honing one's craft can improve their approach to business. We cover the endowment effect and how it can hamper our decision making. We explore ways to mitigate our own ego and biases to make better decisions and improve our own craft and why continuous learning is a lifelong pursuit. We get to dig into Annie Duke's thinking and bets and how that approach can help us make better decisions and be more socially mature collaborators. I truly enjoyed being able to nerd out with Kurt, discussing how design and behavioral science lenses can help us better collaborate, iterate, and improve our decisions. I appreciated Kurt taking the time to join the podcast and sharing the, quote, importance of not holding ourselves and our ideas on a pedestal, end quote. My conversation with him reminded me how lucky I am to have so many smart and caring friends in my life. Thanks for checking out the IO Idea podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, Kurt, welcome to the Iowa Idea Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, Want to just get started with a, a general open question, but can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so just in general, I'm a Midwestern, born and raised, kind of in the tri-state area between Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Iowa. Moved around a variety of different different things, but um, right now I'm I'm in Minnesota. I have a behavioral design and communication agency that I run, as well as I am the co-host of a podcast called Behavioral Grooves, which explores behavioral science application in life and work. And we get to interview a number of people from around the globe to understand why we do what we do. Awesome. Thanks so much. A uh, couple things, too, in, in honor of Behavioral Grooves, and I know we'll, we'll get into that uh, a little bit more, but want to... Uh, Kind of stealing from your format, just a couple warm-up questions for you right now. <laughs> oh, no, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Uh, so I will, I will carp like a lot of our guests do when we ask this question. It depends. So uh, if I'm at yeah. home, 
uh, it is almost always tea. I, I, I just don't like making coffee at home. You know, it's one of those things. However, if I am out and I'm at a cafe or I'm at a conference and they have coffee available, I am a coffee drinker, you know, all morning long. So it, it, it depends. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I love that because I, I think as a designer, something for me that I've become more comfortable with in my career is context matters, right? So <laughs> something that we always talk about. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so uh, another, another question that you asked that I love is uh, what would be harder to give up for a year, laptop or uh, smartphone? Oh, it would be, um, I would, I'd, I'd be, I would want to give up my, my phone. Um, I live uh, and all my work and a lot of what I do is, is on my laptop, but damn, my phone is fun and, you know, it keeps me occupied, particularly in these days where we're stuck inside and I, and I'm walking around the house and I have a multitude of games and music and everything else on it. So, but I would give up my phone for the year and just live with my laptop. All right. Now, uh, so, so folks know whenever they listen to this episode, we're in the middle of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, so uh, many of us are either sheltering at home or uh, social distancing. What's the biggest thing you miss while you've been social distancing? Oh, that's a really good question. I think some of the things that I missed are really just getting together with friends. We have been doing virtual happy hours and trying to talk with people more. But there's something that is lacking in just having that physical presence, the off time handshake, the the laughter that you get to see their entire body and not just, you know, from the neck up. Right. Uh, those pieces of focus that you have and side conversations that you can have in those those gatherings. So I think it's, it, it really is that personal connection piece that I think so many people are missing. Uh, and then, you know, just going out and eating at a restaurant. I think that's another piece that I didn't think I would miss. And I didn't realize how often we did it, but we right. do that a lot more. And now we have to cook at home or get delivery and it's just not the same. Yeah. What's been the biggest positive uh, surprise uh, of, of dealing with this kind of a new context of sheltering at home? So I think there's, there's two things. So one on a personal level, uh, for us, we are, I'm stuck here with my wife and stuck is probably the wrong term to say. <laughs> I, I am, I am, I have the ability to be here and the, the pleasure of being here with my wife and, and my yep. two children, my, my 14 year old son and my, my 10 year old daughter. And, and what's really been interesting is you know, my 14-year-old son is at that, that stage where, hey, it, you know, after dinner, he is almost always immediately up into his room, various different, you know, doesn't want to hang out with, with mom and dad, right? Um, but with this kind of sheltering in place and him not necessarily being able to get out and be with his other friends, I think he longs for some of that actual people connection. And so I think we've had this opportunity as a family to sit down and do game nights and do some, you know, watching movies together. And we do that a lot more often now than we did two months ago prior to this whole thing taking place. So I think that has been really an aspect that I appreciate and I'm, I'm really grateful for. We have, we're lucky enough that we have 
<clears throat> that we have a, a big enough house that we can get away from each other and not be on, on top of each other all the time. And so those, those moments when we do get together as, as a family unit are really, really precious for me. The, the second piece is more of a, a work thing, and it, and it has to do with what I've seen from the behavioral science community. And again, a lot of my work is focused in on behavioral science, both in the, the company that I run, as well as the, the podcast that we do. And the response from the behavioral science community in the research and trying to help out throughout this whole crisis has been really remarkable. I think there's been a, a focus of how can we better understand our emotions as a result of this and how can we better cope with all of the tribulations, all of the stresses, all of the restrictions that have been placed upon us. And with that, I think we're adding some value into the world. And I'm, I'm very happy about that and, and pleased that we're playing a small part in that. Awesome. Yeah, I, uh, on, the, uh, on the family side, one of the jokes that I have with, uh, with my wife and kids is that we are, we are getting a tremendous amount of quantity family time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, much more quantity than we did before. Oh, uh, and sometimes it's kicking and dragging quantity, uh, yeah. at least with, with, with us. It's like, I, I've realized that we do not get enough exercise. and as much as my wife and I are prodding our kids to get outside and to come with a walk with us, you know, sometimes it's like pulling teeth, but yeah, we, we have a lot of quantity going on. Quality, <laughs> not, not quite sure. Oh, right on. Uh, so want to talk a little bit about, uh, as you mentioned, the strong, strong upper mid Midwestern roots for you. Uh, do you mind uh, just telling, telling folks on the podcast uh, some of your connections to Iowa? Yeah, so, so as I, I was born in Wisconsin, uh, then, you know, when I was nine, 10 years old, my parents moved up to Minnesota, lived up here for about four years, and then moved down to Iowa when I was 13, moved over, uh, lived in Bettendorf uh, on the eastern side, went to high school at Pleasant Valley High School, go Spartans, and, uh, <laughs> and then I, I went to the University of Iowa for my undergrad left for a year after that and came back and actually got my MBA uh, at the University of Iowa as well. So I was just figuring this out. Um, six years in Iowa City, so over 10% of my life in Iowa City and uh, plus another four, four plus years in, uh, in, in Bettendorf. So, so in, uh, what was your uh, undergraduate major? So I was a business major. I had a... Uh, Interesting. I had a marketing and economic focus um, uh, within that, and then an English minor. Interesting. So, how did you get uh, more interested in where where you're at now with kind of uh, behavioral science and uh, the work that you're doing with Lantern Group and with uh, Behavioral Group's podcast? <laughs> yeah. So, so humans have always been interesting to me. Uh, I mean, just thinking about people and why we do what we do. There's this concept of, man, what is it? Why are, why are people so stupid sometimes, right? right. And, and me being included in, in that stupidness. Uh, and, and then how can people look at the same piece of information and, and get two very different responses from it? I remember in high school, uh, I did a debate at that point about nuclear 
uh, disarmament is in the middle of the, the 1980s when, you know, the Cold War and Russia and us and, and two of the smartest kids were on the opposite side of the debate and me and this other person were on this side of the debate. And it was really interesting, which now I realize is, is confirmation bias and motivated reasoning. But at the time, I didn't really understand that we're looking basically at the same data and drawing two very different conclusions from it. Uh, and it just, it was curious to me. And then, you know, I've always loved my behavioral, uh, my, my psychology and my social psychology courses that I had as an undergrad. I had, you know, economics was one of those majors that I had, which is really about understanding human decision-making when it comes to finances and, and why we, we do some of the things we do from an economic perspective. But it was really when I was at uh, getting my MBA and I took a course, it was called uh, Consumer Behavior. It was actually a PhD level course and a lot of the MBA students were, were allowed to take it. And it was this course that basically we, we read a whole bunch of research studies from uh, journals, academic journals, all about consumer behavior. In other words, why people responded to the different initiatives from a marketing perspective, the consumer response to different things. And it really was just intriguing. It was fascinating to me to, to look at this and to understand that people are actually researching, you know, why a 0.99 cent at the end of a price it increases people buying that product much more so than if it was, you know, just at, you know, if it's a dollar ninety nine versus two dollars, you're going to get a lot more people buying at a dollar ninety nine. And why is that? When, when re really, it's a, a penny difference and no material difference in in your well being, but yet we buy that dollar ninety nine piece a lot more than we would a two dollar piece. Um, and so that just fascinated me. And then. You know, so it was always in the back of my head. And then when I got up to the, the job that I got, so when I graduated university uh, with my MBA and I came back up to Minnesota, that was in 1992. And I, I swear I was the lowest paid MBA graduate from my, my graduating <laughs> class. I, I, I'm almost 100% positive on that. But I took this job and it was at a company called BI Worldwide which did a, a lot of work around uh, employee motivation and employee uh, engagement. And so the work that I ended up doing there just led into this as well, where I got to really experience how people are being motivated and what is driving their behaviors and how do you, you get behavior change happening. So it just led to all of these different things. And so that was a long-winded answer answer for you there, Matt. Sorry. No, that's, that's great. Uh, I'm kind of, so one of the things I'm hearing though, you were referencing a study that you were interested in. And I, you know, at least from what I hear when I, I listen to uh, behavioral grooves is you and Tim are always interested in digesting both classic and current literature on behavioral science and, you know, kind of different, different realms. So have you always been interested in doing deep dives into academic papers? You know, actually, that, that's, that's interesting because, yes, which is, seems really weird. And I, I'm going to, you know, show my, my geekiness here. Yeah. Uh, but, but even like this weekend. So this weekend, you know, all right, 
don't really have a lot of work to do. What did I do Saturday night? I was actually reading some <laughs> research journal articles <laughs> on the relative independence of thinking and bias and cognitive aspects. So, you know, that's what I, I like that stuff. Now, granted, yeah. I, I also like watching movies and, and reading non-weird you know, research journal articles. But yeah, I, I like understanding and getting some of that research background uh, and really gra- grounding my thinking in in data and facts and so i'm again i'll i'll refer back to this this weekend my daughter asked me a question uh about something and i said you know i i really don't have an opinion on that because i don't have any research to back it up and she she just rolled her eyes at me of course (laughs) right right but that's 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 the way that i'm wired and i've i've always enjoyed looking at research and trying to delve into it. Uh, and I think what we're trying to do with Behavior Grooves, uh, my co-host Tim Houlihan and myself, is take that academic aspect of the research and make it so that it's digestible for pretty much everybody and that you can actually take those lessons from those, those articles and those journals and the research that's being done and apply it to real-world situations, whether yep. that be in your life or at work. Yeah, that, um, and I kind of geek out on similar things that I, I really love diving into <laughs> research papers, into books. I think the biggest thing for me is when I have a notion in my head, but I can't quite square it, or you know, not as elegantly as you said, I don't have opinions to back that up, but I have this hunch, and then I love it when I yeah. find something that, uh, it, it like clicks. It's almost like, oh, that makes sense. And I, it's almost yeah. like I can feel these two dots connect. Yeah. Do, do you go out and actually, so you have that hunch and does it drive you crazy? So you have to go out and try to find that? Or is it just if it comes around and you see it that you go and, and find it? Honestly, it's a mix. Like sometimes, okay. sometimes I feel like it's just serendipity. Like I was, you know, like just walking the dog and then oh, wait, you know, I'll, I'll go look into that or as I'm thinking through that. I also have the, one of the, the benefits that I, I feel really lucky and fortunate. I have uh, really interesting friends in, in different realms. And it's also like when I, I'm really interested also in looking at other systems and then mm-hmm. seeing if there's a metaphor that applies to something I'm looking at. So uh, one of my closest friends, he's a... Uh, microbiology researcher focusing on immunology and virology. So kind of an interesting <laughs> time for him. Yeah. And one of his biggest, pa- his two biggest passions in his life has been freestyle bike riding and, uh, and bonsai. <laughs> so those are also two, <laughs> two different extremes. One's like, you know, X games kind of mentality and the other is very, very Zen like, but um, we will end up talking at length on uh you know, like design challenges or challenges that he has in the lab. And we, we also then seek out like other touchstones that we might have, or, you know, friends of mine that are in more of the creative arts too. It's like, what's an, what's an artist or a philosopher that helped them think through a problem. And it's just, so there's a lot of social curation, but I think it's uh, having access to many things. And then, um, you know, like another really good friend of mine is a, uh, he's a professor in organizational communication at the University of Colorado, uh, Tim Kuhn. And he and I, for probably the past 25 years, because our research, when we were both in grad school, 
was focused on the same stuff, which was computer augmented group decision making. What's the, what's the human dynamic? What's the role a tool has? What's the role of technology? And, and then we also got really interested in uh, basically the learning organization and knowledge mm. management and uh, collaborative constructions of reality. And so he and I will still uh, ping each other. It's, it's, a lop, it's lopsided. It's more me pinging him when I have a question. And, then, <laughs> and, and what I love, though, and I feel, feel actually a little guilty about is sometimes I'll send him like a half-baked question. And he sends yeah. me a very thoughtful, like three-page email response, <laughs> complete with links of other things that I, I should pursue. So, uh, yeah. so it's a, it's well, a you, for me. Yeah, you bring up a really interesting piece, though, is, is broadening that level of interest, not into just that one area of study that you're doing, but drawing those parallels and insights that you can gain from having a wider interest realm where you're looking not just at your specific research area but as you said you know freestyle biking and bonsai trees are you know i read fantasy genres i do a lot of biking and and um uh different things along that downhill skiing is a passion of mine but then there's also things like i read mountain uh uh, like the people who climb mountains, mountaineers, my God, yeah. my brain isn't always on, on firing in all synapses. Right. But I read, I read stories of those. Those are fascinating to me. I read uh, historical fiction. And so a variety of just different interests. And again, to the point of having a social network that has those different interests, the more that you can intersperse those, the more that we can somehow find links between things. And you said another thing I thought was really interesting about finding metaphors in, in those differences. And it's, it's one thing I, I'm really jealous of people that have that innate, innate ability to just bring up metaphors because it's something I would love to have. Uh, and I'm working at it. And a lot of the, the work that we do is, is on communication and, and how do you effectively communicate pieces of uh, change or new information inside organizations or even just in general and metaphors are a great way of being able to do that. So I've been trying to do it more lately, but uh, I, it's still a struggle for me. So, uh, yeah, thanks. And sorry, I, I feel like I went off on a, a tangent there. Uh, <laughs> just let you know that sometimes, like, yeah, the, you know, sometimes I love going to uh, movies. Sometimes I love going to uh, dingy rock shows. And other times I love just sitting down with the good old-fashioned research paper. Uh, <laughs> that's true so what do you uh kind of just going back to your uh your time in iowa city again what is it that you uh is there anything that you you miss most or or where did you where did you spend most of your non uh student time when you were in iowa <laughs> uh, well, there were a number of bars that i probably spent way too much time in when i was down there um that's for that's for sure i, I think there's a lot of things about Iowa City that I miss. I think there's, there's a, it's this nice, compact community that has a really eclectic mix of people and personalities that are, are all around you. Um, it's this little beacon inside of Iowa, in my opinion, and um, you know, other people may disagree with that, but it's this beacon where it has the arts that are 
you know, world-class arts that are there. It has sports. It has uh, community engagement. It has the school. It has, um, you know, people that live there. When I was in grad school, I was dating a woman whose family lived in Iowa City. And so I got to experience the whole different side than from the student side. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. And it's still grounded in Midwestern values and roots. And so there's a lot of really pieces of that. And then uh, uh, what, what's the, the conglomeration at Mickey's? I, I miss that. That's one of those things I miss. <laughs> yeah. And, and Mickey's is still, still there. Uh, that's good. Some that's of, good. some of the bars have have, have changed, and uh, but uh, many many remain the same. But I that's my, that's my feeling about Iowa City, and that's I you know was was just I felt lucky that when Pam uh, was was uh, looking at the research institutions after she finished her PhD, that uh, her two top job targets were the University of Iowa and the University of Toronto, and I jokingly said the Hawkeyes don't play in Toronto. Uh, <laughs> that's not why we that's not why we ended up here but uh yeah i was super happy to get here and as a parent it's it's also you know i had a great great time as an undergrad but it's it's really interesting as a parent too like the the arts the things that kids are exposed to when my daughter was in grade school she had a writing club at her at her school mm. and as a city of literature right there uh we have we have uh some some schools named after authors but she was at longfellow and uh I couldn't pick her up on early on Fridays from her after school program because she had writing club and it was, it was kind of taught by uh, graduate students from the writer's workshop. So, Oh my gosh. You know, just one of these small things that, uh, uh, or, you know, that sometimes their, you know, their T-ball coach is also a you know, brain surgeon at the university or right. That they, they, they just know my friend Noah, right. For you know, uh, just a normal thing, but he's, <laughs> they've been interested in some of the parasites that he's working on. And so one time he, he set up a little, little lecture about some of the stuff that he studies for them. And they were, they were really intrigued and it's just that they have access to some of these world-class things. And yet it's, it's still, uh, and I'm painting with broad strokes, but it's still very much a small Midwestern town where there's a spirit yeah. of helping each other out. Uh, it's the, the pace is not, uh, you know, overwhelming. So it's, you, you can still digest ideas and still like hanging out with people. So yeah, it's, uh, so I, I appreciate your, your take on Iowa city. Uh, one of the things you were talking about with metaphor, uh, and by chance, are, are you familiar with, uh, David Deutsch's book, the beginning of infinity? I am not. I'm so sorry. no, no, that's fine. This, this might be one, uh, that, that you might find interesting, but the beginning of infinity, the uh, subtitle is explanations that transform the world. And, oh, okay. Uh, Deutsch is a physicist uh, by training, and um, it's I think the the big thing that um, stood up. It feels like his hypothesis is that as humans, we are limited by the power of our explanation, and the better the explanation mm. for phenomena. The, the better we are, the more creative we can be. And, you know, he even dissects like uh, uh, ancient Greek mythology and why, mm -hmm. why there were seasons, right? And it, it, but it wasn't a very good explanation, right? It starts, to, it starts to fall apart as soon as you find out that there's another hemisphere. And so, wait, people are having different seasons. Are the gods moving back and forth? Nobody explained that before. 
but as explanations get better and it helps our understanding, then also our, our basically our creativity and progress. So it's just, it's a really compelling uh, way to, I think, look at also uh, our communication methods and how we construct and share meaning. So it seems to fit. I, you, I have another book on my <laughs> to read list here. So thank you. Right on. Uh, so I want to talk to you a little bit more too about how you approach your, your craft, uh, both, uh, kind of, we can go either from, uh, you know, running your own company or, or from running a successful podcast, right? So if you want to take either one, we can just go in, in that direction. Yeah, let me, actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with the podcast because I think just the term craft, I think, is, is an interesting way of, of framing this and tell you a secret. I think the doing the podcast has really helped my craft as a business person as well. So, um, so, so the Lantern Group, which is my, my company, is, you know, we're a small company. We have three full-time employees, about four or five contractors that we have on, on staff at any one time that are, you know, uh, on a certain project for a certain specific time. Uh, and we do work with companies around helping them improve their employee engagement and helping communicate internally with their employees, making sure that that's all there. And we do it through a behavioral science lens. And so I've always, as you know, I got my PhD in IO psychology and I've been, you know, bringing that lens to play on that for a long time. Uh, I started the podcast with Tim at the end of 2017 and it, we started it on a whip. Uh, it was, we had, we, Tim and I had worked together when he was at another company and, and when he left that, we said, you know, let's do something together. And we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do. And what we ended up determining to do is, is do a meetup. And if you're not familiar with meetups, it's this uh, ability for people to, to gather together through a website where we meet in person, um, but it's local and around a topic and you can get recruit people. And so we get people coming together. And so we, we formed what we called behavioral groups. That, that was a meetup. Uh, and we got about 25 people to the first one uh, again. Uh, then we were going to do it the next month and we were going to have about 25 to 30 people signed up to, to see this one. And we had a, one of the, the presenter that we had was, uh, a present, uh, a researcher at, uh, St. Thomas university, locally one here. Um, and he had done some work with Dan Ariely, who is a huge guy in behavioral science, wrote, uh, predictably irrational and a number of other best-selling books. And we thought, wow, we're only going to get about 25. 30 people to show up. And I said, well, why don't we just bring in, uh, you know, our speaker early and then we'll, we'll have a conversation with them and we'll, we'll record it and we'll put it out as podcast, you know, and, uh, and thus the podcast was born and, you know, naive uh, enthusiasm uh, and, and lack of actually really understanding what went into it. Um, and 130 plus episodes later, we're now, um, you know, I think owning our craft, but I think about when you say craft, I think it's really interesting because with the podcast, we are interviewing some of the brightest and smartest people in the entire world. We have been very lucky. Tim has a Rolodex of, of researchers and, and practitioners throughout the world. And we have just been really lucky in being able to get some really, really smart people on there. And 
And with that, I can't BS our way through a conversation with these people, right? George Lowenstein, uh, Robert Cialdini, uh, Christina Bicchieri, you know, these are all world-class, I mean, hundreds of, of research articles published, citations out of the, out of the globe. And you're not going to be able to just go into that half-baked. And so it's this constant struggle. It struggles, probably the wrong word, constant uh, effort to, to improve. How are, you, how are you researching them? How are you understanding what are going to be appropriate questions? How are you going to be able to respond in, in this? And what can you learn? What, what are going to be the, the topics that you cover in an hour or an hour and 15 minutes? And what can, you, what can you get out of that? And so I think over time, we have improved. I think over the course of two and a half years now, we've tried different things. We've experimented and some of them have worked and some have been utterly dismal failures. Um, but I think honing that craft and, and the knowledge that I've gained through the interviews that we've had and just the process of going through all that has been really good, not just from a podcast perspective, but from a business perspective as well. Yeah, thank you. I know because for me, to, one of the interesting things, one of the things I'm trying to pursue as a theme with uh, the Iowa idea is approach to craft and how, how do different people see it. And, um, and that's why, and, when, and I use it broadly, right? It can be your approach to business, art, uh, uh, but the the thing for me with craft that I find interesting is when I look at people that I think are masters and how they continue to work to hone their craft, I, I find that fascinating. And so like a quote, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll probably butcher the name, but that I remember seeing a long time ago, I think it was Pablo Casales, who was a, okay. uh, a violinist in his 90s, and, and he mentioned something about needing to practice, and somebody uh, asked him. Like, like why at this end, his response was because I think I'm making progress. Yeah. And just this, where people are passionate and want to get better is always a, it, it's, it's a fascinating thing for me. It's like, where do people geek, geek out, I guess, a little bit. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I'm, I'm lucky because I'm, I'm working in a field that is vastly interesting to me and keeps my interest and and it has not gotten stale, even though I've been working in it for 20 plus years. And that you're constantly learning and that you're constantly expanding your horizons. For me, that's, that's fun. So as I like, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of a geek. I, I read research journals over the weekend sometimes. Yeah. And, and with that, though, your, your point about practice, I think, is really important because when you talk about craft, I think it, it implies that there's this artistic aspect to it, that it isn't just a plug and play, that it isn't follow step one, two, three, four, and you will have your outcome. It's this, how do I, how do I master step one? And what can I, maybe can I adjust step one? And how does that impact step two? And uh, all right, so now if I got step one to a point where I think it's good, um, but I changed step two. Do I have to go back and reassess how step one is working and what does that imply for step three? So there's this constant assessment of what is going on in how we operate. And I think 
for those people who want to hone a craft, it's that looking at things through that perspective, as you said, of this is practice and that I am constantly evolving how I'm approaching this, how I'm thinking about this and my behaviors that are elicited when I do this. So for instance, on, on the podcast, I have filler words. I, it's, it's my speech pattern. I, I use a lot of filler words, kind of, you know, um, like, uh, what were the ones that I was just listening to? I, was, I, I listened to our podcast. So, so once we actually get them done, actually, this is, it's a three-part model, right? We, we do the podcast. We, we're talking with our guests, and then we, we do a thing that we call a grooving session after each of our, our guests. And so we have another 10 to 20 minutes of conversation between Tim and me where we talk about what we heard from that conversation. So in prepping for those grooving sessions, I listen to the interview that we did. And then once it's all put together, I listen to it again. And so I'm listening to these uh, interviews that I've done, and I, and I realize, oh my gosh, I'm using all these filler words, so how do I do it? So I have taped up on my, on my wall a sign that says, kind of, you know, um, like, all of these. I need to add aspect to it and write, I think, are the two that I've realized I use a lot recently. Um, there's an um, see, there you, right, right, <laughs> you yeah. go. Uh, but with that, it, it's that constant uh, trying to make yourself better and improve and looking at things from how the service or delivery of whatever it is you're going to do, how are other people viewing that? So. Cool. Thank you. I, uh, one of the things too is that if you, as you've been uh, honing it and you, and you mentioned, you mentioned your process, I think one of the things I, I love about uh, what you and Tim do, I love the grooving session. Um, I think that's a, that's just a great thing. And maybe it's because uh, sometimes the, the people you're talking to, right? Like you said, they're, they're very smart people with, with a lot to cover. And I think sometimes it, it helps me digest, wait, what did we just hear? And, but I just, <laughs> I really love the grooving session because it also, well, it's where you guys show your passion too, right? It's like you get really fired up about something and you're, you're able oh, to. Oh man, it's the funnest part. I, 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 I love, I love doing the interviews. I don't, don't discount that one yeah. cent, but you take that to a level, uh, you know, times three, right, of the grooving sessions because it is Tim who is one of my best friends and another brilliant guy. And it's like you said, when you call up your friend in Colorado and yeah. you get these conversations about these things that you're really passionate about and you learn, you're digesting what you just heard from the interview, but you're also getting to expand upon that and bring that down. And, you know, we started it with this idea of me being able to translate some of the, the research heavy topics that we've had with our interviewees, or we also interview people who are applying behavioral science into work and life. And we might bring some of the research behind some of the applications. And what we found is that for the most part, we just tend to go off on what we found really, really interesting. And so we get to talk about things that are really interesting to us and have some fun and laugh. And, you know, and then Tim always talks about music. I don't understand. But he <laughs> thinks it's a musical podcast as well. Well, honestly, that's, uh, it's frankly, it's one of the things that I enjoy about it as well. <laughs> uh, 
So a couple of the guests you had, to, I mean, you, yeah, like you said, uh, you've, you've had so many great guests, and I think it's like your children, right? We don't have favorites, right? They're all special in their own way. But uh, two of my favorite uh, interviews in, in the last year or, or less, I think, though, was uh, Annie Duke, I thought was fascinating, both ah. her and the, and the book as well. Just that. And so for me, that metaphor of thinking and bets, how helpful that is. Uh, but, uh, uh, and what was your biggest takeaway from being able to interview Annie Duke? So Annie was, so she's, uh, you said we don't have favorites, um, <laughs> but we kind of do. Annie, Annie is our favorite child, yeah. um, really. And, and she's been on the podcast three times. Right. So that, that goes to show. So, and for whatever reason, she likes us. I don't understand why she likes us, but she likes us. And so we've become actually friends with her. Uh, but the first interview that we did with her was just this really interesting thing. So she has a book called Thinking in Bets. Uh, she was a former world-class poker player, won four or five million dollars playing poker, won the World Series of Poker bracelet, and was one of the first women to do that. Not the first woman. She, she corrected me on that. Yeah. But she has a unique way of looking at the world and this idea of she does a lot of research now on decision making and how do we make decisions. And particularly about how we view the world. And we often tend to look at the world as black or white and we put everything in. And she's saying, look, in poker, uh, you can't do that. You're always playing the odds. You're always looking at this in terms of bets. And with that, it's a really nice, again, metaphor or analogy, however, I forget which is which, yeah. of, of how to look at it the way we think. And so for me, you know, Annie brings to light the, the wonders of taking really rigorous research and bringing it to life in a way that is understandable with metaphors, with these ideas of, that are simplified, that take some really keen concepts of the why we do what we do question uh, and making it really accessible for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Her approach, also her book, and I think you know one of the things I love is great intelligence, great credentials, right? Both academically and can, from from a, a poker perspective. And what I find fascinating is also I feel like a big theme that she has is it's almost social emotional intelligence and in how to be like a smarter, kinder human. And yeah. and also how if you use a bets frame, how that also can help a conversation. I. At least that's the way I was processing it. It seems like it can um, almost uh, diffuse a conversation a little bit that might be heated just by using well, that one frame. The, yeah, one of the things that she talks, so there's a couple of things. She, she talks about this thinking in bets. And so uh, we tend to, as I said before, think in black and white, right? And so when that happens and, and all of a sudden you get information that is contrary to your belief it, that's 100%, you now take that personally because it's about who you are as an individual. It's about your self-identity, your right, self-esteem. Right. When, when you're viewing things as, well, I hold this belief, but I'm, I'm not 90% sure of it, or I'm 80% sure of it. Then when new information comes in that may contradict that belief that you had, instead of going, oh, I'm, this is a front against me as a person, what is happening is that now you go, oh, all right, I was ninety percent sure about this belief before. Now maybe I'm eighty-two percent sure, and yep. so it's this different framing of how you take information in. 
And particularly in this day and age where from a variety of different fields, politics in being, you know, forefront in this is that we tend to have this confirmation bias, motivated reasoning, where if somebody says something contrary to what we believe, we discount whatever they say, we hold them as these really horrible people. And that's not the case at all. In most cases, we are really just trying to find out the truth. And if you can get to the truth, um, you're going to be better off in the long run. And so I think she says something, I'm going to mess up this quote, but, you know, would you rather be accurate or would you rather be right? And, you know, we tend to fall on the idea of being right when mm-hmm. we ought to be more accurate. Yeah. And I think that notion of being right is also a lot more ego driven. And mm-hmm. in the world of design, I've always tried to coach my, uh, my teams is that we need to fall in love with the problem, not the solution, mm-hmm. because if you're focused on falling in love with the solution, it's more ego driven. And then you're forcing that thing to be right rather than do we truly understand the problem. And so to me, that's also that mastery element. If you fall in love with the problem, you're always looking at ways to chip away at it to get better to figure it out. But if you're in love with the solution, you're just trying to promote that from an ego perspective. And I, I love that. I love that, that way of phrasing that. There's, um, there's a thing. So, you know, in, in, in prepping for this, I was trying to think back to some of my Iowa experiences, right? And there was a, cor- a course I took when I was an undergrad believe it was freshman or sophomore year, but it was a creative writing course. It was actually a, a playwriting course. And I, I took this course and, you know, the, we had all these, you know, mini assignments throughout the semester, but the big thing we had to write basically a one act or a two act play at the end of this. And so for two thirds of the semester, I was working on this play, put many, many hours into it, all of these facets and, you know, I realized at some point near the end of the semester, this was a piece of shit. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't very good. And I could have tried to know, just go with it. You know, I had the solution here. It was, it met all of the criteria. Uh, You know, it was a play and one act or two act, whatever that was. It had characters and all of the stuff that was there, but I just wasn't very happy with it. And so, I shucked it and I started all over at the end, uh, near the end of the semester, and I created a whole brand new play. Um, and, and, you know, with that, it was just this lesson that I, that I got that, you know, you got to realize what, what works and what doesn't work, what's good and what isn't good. And, you know, hold yourself accountable for that. Um, you know, when I turned in this brand new play, I got an A. I wanted two kids in the class to get an A. And, you know, not to pat myself on the back, right. but I think the lesson that I learned from that was this idea that, yeah, you, you can't hold on to something just because you've, you've done it and it's yours. You got to look and see, is, is this the best that it can be? And if it's not, then, you know, reassess that. And so, again, if I have a belief, is this the best belief? Is this the most accurate belief? If it's not, don't hold on to it. Don't try to grasp at it harder. Reassess it. And if you need to change that, then change it. Yeah, I love that. Because uh, one, one of the other things that I talk about from a design perspective is 
and innovation is the, like trying to get lots of ideas out and especially mm-hmm. early in the process. But one of the big things is uh, don't make your, don't make your uh, ideas, don't make your prototypes so precious that you can't throw them away. Right? And, <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's great. And it's, right? It's a challenge because the, and it, you know, it's the, the more detailed we get, the more time we spend, right? There's like escalated commitment that we have with our own ideas. So it's, it's interesting. But what I, what I like about your example was it wasn't so precious that you wouldn't throw it away. You weren't trying to force fit it and defend it. Yeah. Um, well, you, it, it's a prototype, right? As you right. said, pro, and prototypes are intended to be iterated upon and moved on. It, it, and what you're talking about in, in psychology, it's called, or in behavioral science, it's called the endowment effect, right? We, we, hold these things that we own or that we create and value them a lot more than anybody objectively would on the outside. Right. Um, And so with that, there is a real difficulty in letting those go. And it's even exasperated by the fact that if it is something that aligns with who we believe we are as a person, then letting that go changes who we are and we have a really hard time uh, to do that. So in a design aspect, you put some blood, sweat and tears and this is who I am as a designer. And I could see where that could be very, very difficult for people right. to say, Whoop, no, I'm just going to trash that and we're going to go and do something else because no, that's part, you're just, you're throwing part of me out. And that seems really hard. When you were talking, we were, uh, we were talking about Annie Duke and one of the things uh, also you had mentioned black and white thinking. And it's interesting because that's one of the things that I try to advise clients as well is we're not looking for the right answer. Right? And uh, so I love the, the notion of accuracy. And uh, for me, we're, I, I'm trying to push the idea. We're, we're looking for the optimized answer. Like in this context, mm-hmm. where we're at today but I think it's so hard because a lot of folks have been ingrained with like a right and wrong, almost binary view of the world that, but with a really super complicated world, when it's really complex, we, we need to kind of investigate and learn as we go. And so I, I love, I love the idea too, of how can we try to eliminate a little bit of black and white thinking so that we're more open to possibilities. Yeah. It's an interesting aspect because our brains are wired to st- strive for certainty, right? We, mm-hmm. we do not like being, uh, having uncertain aspects going on in our life, most of us. And so our brain fills in those blank spots and they fill them in often with things that aren't necessarily based in truth, but they solve this need to have closure, to be certain, to feel good about that. And so when you're thinking about from an organizational perspective, from a design perspective, from a variety of different perspectives, is what have we filled in that really isn't based in fact, right? We fill in these things based on inferences and conjuncture. And Mm -hmm. we make assumptions about people's intentions. We make assumptions about how things are going to end up with a certainty aspect applied to them when there's no way you can be certain about these things. And that influences how we view the world. It influences how we think about the world. It influences our behavior in response to those aspects of the world. And the more that we can live with 
some uncertainty, the more that we can live with this idea that I may be right and I may be wrong and that's okay and it isn't a reflection on who I am as a person, the more that we will actually be able to view the world as it actually is as opposed to the way that we want it to be, uh, which can get us into trouble. Right. Well, Kurt, this has been great. I'm so happy that you were able to join me. Uh, any, any last thoughts for the, uh, the Iowa idea listeners on advice on approaching, approaching craft or, or any, any big thing that stood out from a mentor or advice that you received in your, in your career? Uh, you know, I think the biggest thing that we can take away, maybe not the biggest thing, but one, one important thing that we can take away from this is that not, not to hold ourselves and our ideas on such a pedestal mm -hmm. and to understand that everybody uh, kind of views the world through their own lens. And that lens is colored by their history, their background, uh, their ideas, their upbringing, the environment that they're in. As we said earlier, context matters. And the context that, that other people are in um, and the context that you're in uh, can change how we view things. And so don't hold your own ideas and such on, up on a pedestal. And don't be so quick to discount other people's perceptions and ideas, because I think it's really important in this time, particularly given the world and the craziness that we're in, is let's not have the world be as I want it to be, but let's actually look at the world as how it is so that we can approach it to make it better and make it maybe like you want it to be. But you can't do that if you have blinders on and you're not really uh, open to seeing the truth. Awesome. Thanks so much. Have, have a fantastic day, and I look forward to connecting with you in the future. Well, thank you for having me on. This is a great, great idea, and I'm so happy that you're, you're doing it. And I love the, the connection back to Iowa. It brought back lots of great memories, and, uh, and so thank you. Thank you for having me. You bet. You bet. Take care. <laughs>